back to On The Mic with Mike Peters. This week's guest is Mike Brindisi. He is a musician and a comedian out of the Ithaca area. He's the front man of New York rock, and he's a comedian, kind of making his way back into the scene. He's been in New York City for a while, made an appearance on SNL. We talked about music, comedy, and a whole lot more than I wanted to talk about my lesbian ex-girlfriend. Just another day with me. It's sad. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you guys. Please like, share the podcast, rate and view, do whatever the hell you need to do. Thanks so much. Take care. I'll talk to you next week. Peeling back my sunburned skin. I'll wait outside your bedroom. I hope they let me in. Thank you so much for being on this podcast, dude. Why are you thanking me? I'm thanking you. I was raised that way. (laughs) I I was too. It's an endless cycle too because when you're raised that way, it's exhausting because then you're like, no, thank you. And then I'm like, no, no, really, like, thank you. And then you're like, you're welcome. Like, no, really, you're welcome. And eventually it's just get the hell out of my house. Yeah, and eventually it's just like, shut the fuck up and let's just do what we're going to do. No, but but honestly, dude, thank you so much. As I think everybody who's listening can... uh, what we sort of sympath or empathize with, you know, we're all looking for something extra to do right now. So you've got a wife and two kids. So I yes. assume that whenever anybody asks you to do something, you're like, "Fuck yeah, let's go!" You please, bet your, you bet your ass. Because let me tell you something, and this is the, the God's honest truth. When this whole thing went down, I was like, "Motherfucker, what am I going to do?" And then as we kind of got the financials figured out, and we kind of like got settled into this whole routine, I guess. I realized, you know, at this stage in my life, being a comedian and going back to school and where else would I rather be at the end of the day than home, you know, with my kids? You know, I got a a 10-month-old and a five-year-old. These are the years you want to be around them. But on that same note, when your buddy Mike says, can you come on a podcast? Where else would I rather be than not putting them to fucking bed and down here drinking alcohol with you? So it goes both ways. It's my pleasure to be your excuse to be an absentee father. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I totally am, and it's okay. <laughs> well, I'm trying to think, like, we met almost a year ago, right? I mean, I was looking for a venue, and you were trying to help me out, and then you hooked me up with a place in Trumansburg. Yeah, yeah, it was about a year ago. And I'm so glad we did meet because I'll tell you, just deciding to get back into comedy, you were, you've been such a blessing because not only did you kind of give me the opportunity to ease myself back in and, you know, start doing shows and bombing on some jokes and doing everything that comedians that we do, you got me back into it and allowed me to keep going and going and going regionally and locally. And then literally the week before this happened, I was down in the city, you know, at Broadway Comedy Club and Comic Strip Live. So if it wasn't for you, I would have just died down in the city right away because that's what I would have done. I would have been like, yeah, I'll get back into it and just go right down to the city, which is like the worst thing I could have done. Well, this is the real reason I'm having you on the podcast. I just want that one compliment. We're done now. (laughs) You can go back to your kids. (laughs) So here's what we learned today. I'm an absentee father and Mike is the greatest fucking thing on earth. He's the end all be all. Perfect. That's the summary for the podcast. All right. I love it. See you tomorrow. (laughs) Enjoy your drink. Yeah, I will. Are you from Ithaca originally? No. So I'm actually originally from, see now when I cheat, I go, oh, I'm from Utica, but I'm not. I'm from Herkimer, which is- it, Utica, it's, basically. Yeah. It's it's like, uh, I don't know, half hour east of Utica, but it's that area. Yeah. I was born in Syracuse and then my family moved. They didn't want to put us in the Syracuse school system. Can't um, imagine why. Yeah. I don't know. Terrible parenting. Um <laughs> I wonder if I would have been shot or if I would have been shooting. Well, whatever. So uh, <laughs> no, we, we, You'd have the gun. I would have the gun. I would have the gun. <laughs> Super Soaker, 2000. But yeah, they moved us to the valley. So it was like a small little town, Herkimer. How old are you now? I'm in my my uh, my mid to late 30s, we'll say. Okay, so I'm 37. I, I was born in Canada. Yeah, and we moved to Liverpool. So I would have gone to Liverpool and then we moved to Endicott. No shit. Would you have gone to Liverpool? That's a great question. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know because I was so young. I mean, I was in preschool in Syracuse, uh, Jawonio Preschool. I remember that. We were near, my parents tell me it was Highland Ave. So I think we're near like the Lost Horizon. I think it was was North Syracuse. So I don't know what school district that is. I went to kindergarten in Liverpool. The only things I know are the Bayberry Pool. 
I stepped on a wasp there. Even the wasp were like, bro, wrong place. I'm gonna I'm gonna sacrifice my life. I'm gonna I'm gonna kill you. I'm gonna die just to sting you to let you know. Get the fuck out of here. The wasps were protecting their own. Wasp over <laughs> the wasp. The only other thing I, I really remember from there is uh I learned cursive in kindergarten. You learned cursive in what? I learned cursive in kindergarten. I'm advanced. Clearly. No joke. This is the only time I felt advanced in school. My mom's a kindergarten teacher, and that's just the curriculum. So when we moved to Endicott School District, I was in first grade. They were teaching cursive again. I didn't need it. I already knew how to do my name and everything. I was still the dumbest kid in class, but I could write in cursive. So everybody's like, ooh, this guy's fancy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then it ended. Yeah, very fast. No, but I'm trying to think back. I feel like, isn't cursive like second or third? I mean, I forget. Like, that's not normal curriculum. For- not kindergarten. No. No. Right. Uh, no. But I think it's a first or second grade thing. But I'm wondering if like some of the kids were like, oh, yeah, of course Mike knows cursive. His mom's a kindergarten teacher. <laughs> I, don't I don't think know. we were that advanced. I mean, I was, but I don't think they were. Uh, clearly, we know you were. By the way, did you know they're not teaching cursive anymore? Yeah, it's just an affront to me. Like, that's just a weird thing to stop teaching. The only thing I wonder about with the cursive is like, when are people going to stop signing their names? Like, that's the only thing. <sighs> I guess everything yeah. can be electronically. Yeah, that's that's true because that's like really the only time you use it. But I'm stupid. Like anytime I'm writing, I do like half print, right. half cursive. Like maybe the teachers were so sick of kids like me that were like, you write half the word in just regular penmanship and then you use the cursive. Maybe they were like, this this just isn't working, guys. Let's uh let's just cut cursive altogether. I just thought it was a strange thing, and I wouldn't have known that if my daughter wasn't in kindergarten. I was like. I found out that the, like, that was a thing. There's things called number bonds, as if math wasn't hard enough. I have no idea what that is. I I, you know what? It's the kindergarten version of Common Core, if that makes any sense. Okay. It's this small way of doing addition and subtraction that isn't necessary. And I don't know why they're making these kids do it, but whatever. To make you feel dumb. Yeah. There's nothing worse than when your daughter, who's five, is like, Dad, can you help me with math? And I'm like, absolutely, honey. I can handle addition and subtraction. She pulls out like a diagram and it, it, it literally looks like the blueprints to a power plant. And I'm like, what the fuck? Uh, yeah, no, no, no. Dad's got it. Uh, yeah, you just hold on. Let me Google something. You know, it's just like, I don't know. I just think they make it way more complicated than it needs to be sometimes. So, okay. When did you start doing stand up or was music first? All right. So I started, I was like 14. And I just got bit with the acting. I always like to make people laugh. I know you know how that feels. Yeah. I was just constantly wanting to perform and be – me too. I I always say I'm just doing this entertainment thing until my bartending career takes off. But it's like I just – I was an extrovert. I always just love to make people laugh. I love to do impressions. And so I immediately started in in theater in high school and I was in every show – starring role and then uh of yeah after that i also got bit by the music bug my dad was a musician i loved music there's like two things i loved and that was like i loved music and i loved making people laugh so started learning guitar i taught myself in fact i'm left-handed but i taught myself i'm on a right-handed guitar because my dad mom couldn't afford to buy you know a, a right-handed guitar at the time so i just i learned on his and I got bit with the music bug. So through high school and after high school into my early 20s, I was just kind of, I wanted to move to New York or LA, but I couldn't afford it. You know, my parents couldn't afford to send me there. So I just kind of tried to make the best of it from there. And this was before now where you could, yeah, it's good to be in New York or LA, but you know, as long as you can travel there or, you know, now you can do, you can do electronic auditions, I guess. This was long before that. So I was playing in local bands and and writing music. I went down to Nashville and recorded a demo. Basically, this company from Nashville took four grand from me. They were like, we're going to cost you four grand. We're going to record three of your songs. And then we're going to shop it to all the record labels and we get 7%. And we read over the contract and we're like, all right, let's do it. It's a 50-50. And they basically just took the money, paid the guys and ran. But I was too young. You know, I was 20 years old. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I'm bouncing around in local bands you know, I did some summer stage. I I actually had gone down and I shot, I was in an intro for an MTV2 show, just kind of random stuff. And then um, I came back from Nashville with that demo that that company kind of fucked me. And I went, all right, I'm the type of person more then than now that like, as soon as I feel stagnant, I freak out. So it's like, okay, this didn't work out. Nashville didn't work out. Let's fucking go on to the next thing. So I, uh, I said, well, look, I, I, I'm always the comedic role in theater. You know, when I'm playing in bands, I'm always, you know, the front man and making people laugh in between songs. It's what I love the most. 
I got to give this stand-up thing a try. And Bill Keeler, who is a big-time radio guy up in, in the Utica area, opened up a comedy club called Fat Cats. Uh, in I remember Utica. hearing about that. It was actually a phenomenal club. It's supposed to be coming back. Hey, is that right? I don't know you if know he's what? still running it, but yeah, Fat Cats is coming back. No shit, because you're kind of bringing something up. I'm, I feel like I'm something's coming back with that. So I I knew Bill from going on his show all the time, uh, whether it was playing guitar or you know whatever it was, and I begged him to give me a job. And he's like, "Well, look, you can uh, sweep floors and earn stage time." I was like, "Okay." So I swept floors through shows, and I finally I worked my way up to become the MC of the club there. You know how that works. I'd, I'd go up to open up the show, go in between the feature and the headliner, promote whatever I had to promote, and I get paid a little bit. But I videotape myself on my little high eight camcorder, and I I finally put the best of my stuff together and sent it down to the city. And that's how I started. Uh, I got into Caroline's for an amateur night, which was a dream. Boston Comedy Club, which is in New York. Uh, Stand Up New York. I forget the others, but, and, and then it started. And next thing you know, here I am, I've been doing music all these years and, you know, kind of doing a little bit of the comedy and acting. And now here I'm like, wow, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And I was just doing the circuit for like a year in New York. And my one goal, my whole life was I want to be on SNL or I want to be successful in music and be able to host and play on SNL someday. So I had, you know, just small goals. Right. Of course. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's, uh, and, and that's what happened. I got on SNL as an extra and I could ramble about this forever. I apologize. Which, uh, who was the cast on SNL when you were there? So what happened was the, the more I would go down to the city and I would mingle with, you know, I was kind of part of that scene. I would find out like, what, like when are the SNL, like, when do they come? And it was, it, it was never like a, well, they come on Friday nights. I mean, you know how it is. It's like yeah. you, they come out when they come out. So um, I, I remember there was a, a website. I would go check it every now and then for auditions and things going on. And I saw there was a showcase for extras for SNL and my eyes lit up and I emailed, I did whatever I had to do. And I go down there and it was so strange. And this is actually going on more now than it was then. But basically we were in like this back room of a restaurant and there was like 10 comedians and we had like five minutes, not even, I think we had three minutes and Zach Payne, he came in and it was him and the guy that set up the show, Bill Michaels, and us 10 comedians. And we went up there in this back of this fucking fancy restaurant on this tiny little stage and we did our time. And I, I remember this poor guy, I cornered him after the show. He was like getting ready to leave. I was like, hey, look, I was like, like totally desperate, which is so gross. I hate desperation. It's such a gross fucking characteristic. But I was like, listen, my whole life, I've dreamed of being an SNL. I will do anything. Just please, please give me this shot. Like I just gave him this speech. Like it was, you know, life or death. Well, sure enough, two weeks later, I get a phone call. I'm going to be on SNL. And it was May 1st, 2004. Lindsay Lohan and Usher. Lindsay Lohan was the guest and then Usher was the musical guest. And uh, yeah, I went on and I did it. And it's actually a fucking crazy story, man, because the night I got the call, we were standing, I lived at, I still lived at my parents in Herkimer and my grandmother was dying. Like literally, like they just took her from home, put her in the hospital. Like she smoked Pall Mall on filters. She's a cowboy. Like, I mean, pretty much like looking back, like I cried, but I, I should have been like, what the fuck did you think was going to happen? But, you know, so I swear to God, our whole family's in the kitchen deciding arrangements on how we're going to go down and, and the phone rings and I pick it up like the movie Rockstar. And they're like, yeah, hey, Mike, it's Zach Payne. We want you on the show. So I go down and... um do you want me to keep going? I feel like I'm just rambling on well, this yeah. question. Well, you are, but I want to I want to interrupt you because this is my podcast. Now, it's obviously to a lesser degree, but my grandpa died and his funeral was the same day I did stand up for the first time. Get the so fuck out he of here, man. So he dies and we're in his house figuring out the arrangements. And I know that the open mic in Binghamton is going to be on Wednesday. You know, I didn't know when we were going to have to leave to go back again. But they're like, oh, well, it should be either be Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. And I think they were going to go for Thursday. And I go, should have it on Wednesday. Because in my mind, I'm like, oh, OK. I knew I was going to do a eulogy. So I was like, OK, well, I can do his eulogy first as my warm up for stand up because there's less pressure on me at the eulogy. Weird. That's so great. So you were like you were using your grandpa <laughs> you were using your grandfather's eulogy as like practice for your stand up. Oh my god. 
and the set went oh. unbelievably well at the eulogy. Oh, I'm sure it did. You bombed at the funeral, but that nope. but that night. I killed at the funeral. Oh, you killed, killed at the funeral. Oh, I thought you made you, oh, you yeah. bombed at the funeral, oh, but no. okay, okay. You no. killed at the funeral. All right. Yeah. Well, I mean. I think my grandpa was already dead. I didn't have to kill him again, yeah. but everybody right. else. Right. Yeah. Best set I ever had was at his wife, my grandma, at her eulogy. Well, not the eulogy. It was at the reception because I had given my grandpa's eulogy and I was the only person and then my, I was the only kid. 18 months later, two years later, something like that, my grandma died and I wasn't as close to her, so I wasn't going to do one. And the priest, same guy, my grandma was just buried. Like we just put her down. Uh, it sounded like she's a dog. We, we just, they just lowered her. I was just thinking that. She, we just put her down. She uh, broke her leg. Literally just injected her. We were so, leaving the vet. <laughs> so she's lowered down to the ground and it's it's my my family's there and and the priest and the priest is walking with me and he goes hey man i you know i'm sorry to see you didn't do the eulogy and i go well wasn't as close and I, I started telling him stories about how my grandma thought i was gay because i was single at 14 and <laughs> how she only wanted me to have a, a wife you know so and i i'd written jokes and, and performed them like two days before because i opened up for uh eric Solhansky rabbit from super troopers and i'm like yes. okay these are all fresh so we go to the reception now there's like 85 90 people there so the sure. priest takes the microphone and he goes hey so a lot of people are telling stories and and I was talking to Elsie's grandson. And Mike, why don't you come over and say some words? So I did like a 10-minute set, basically, in front of them. And it was amazing. So I think what I need to do is get more grandparents to die. And then I'll be a famous yeah. comedian. Just need Dude, a lot more grandparents. Let me tell you something. You know, that's a niche market, the, the funeral comedian. <laughs> I mean, I never thought of that. No, I mean, you don't. you never hear that. But that is so brilliant. Literally, your best stuff came from Easily. eulogy. Easily. <laughs> That's so good. Because I'm a soulless motherfucker well, who doesn't cry. <laughs> like, it well, doesn't yeah, matter. Well, you will. Like one, like one day, like you might be mid-podcast and you're just going to lose it. Like all the weight of everything. I'm waiting for that. Yeah. But you know what I find funny about that too is like, I mean, what a better crowd. I mean, why wouldn't you kill? I mean, everybody's so, so sad. It's like the same way, like when you go to a wedding, like everybody just wants to have sex because they're like well, dude, caught here, up. Here's the thing. It's like, that is such a no pressure situation. What are they going to do? Boo me? My grandma died. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to hurt my feelings? Right, right. right. Like, like, no, it was it was the perfect setup. You're right, you're right. The, like literally, the reason I'm here is to cry. Yeah. Yeah. So like whatever you like, nothing can be worse than why we're here. So I'm going to tell it all. There's one postscript for that from my grandma's funeral. Uh, the whole thing was like my grandma only wanted me to have a girlfriend and get married and have kids. And like I was a complete failure because of that. Like, she died while I'm a failure. Thankfully, I had a girlfriend at the time. I had a girlfriend at the time and I had a joke where my dad went down to tell her that I had a girlfriend. She heard that and she's like, fuck it. I'm going now before Mike <laughs> fucks it up. So, um, but That's that was good. basically, that was like the premise of my entire quote unquote eulogy. And somebody came up to me and I guess her son or nephew was a comedian in Indiana, I think. And oh, she's like, oh yeah, you should talk market. to him. I'm like, whatever. I said, you know, I go to Vegas a lot and if your name is ever on the marquee, I expect free tickets. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Knowing that's never gonna happen. So we're cleaning up from the funeral, and my dad and I, we start walking behind this woman. She's older. She doesn't have like the volume control. So she's talking to her like her sister. And I heard her say, Yeah, I told him if he ever gets his name on the marquee to let me know. And she said, I'll be dead before that happens. <laughs> <laughs> she's and she died like two years ago. <laughs> like, oh, like she's my. she's gone. <laughs> Let me wait. Let me ask you something. I feel like I know you well enough now. When you're you're joking and when you're not, like, are you seriously you, like your grandmother? Literally, like at fourteen, put that pressure on you, like to oh, get. Oh yeah. So she didn't ask if I was gay, but I remember we were on the back porch, and my sister, who at that time. I think I was 14. That might have been old. I could have been 12 because she always compared me to my older male cousin, Kyle. And he's like two and a half, three years older than me. So if oh, Kyle had a girlfriend course, at 15. Kyle. Right, Kyle of course. Kyle would be like and, the perfect athlete. Yeah, he's, a, he's an athlete, very good athlete. He's a catcher. Yeah. Stereotypes uh, are real. Maybe I'm 12, but I think I'm 14. And my sister's six years older than me. She came up to me afterward. We're outside. And she's like, yeah, 
uh, grandma asked if you had a girlfriend. I'm like, yeah, of course. And she goes, I think she thinks you're gay. And I'm like, what do you mean? How do you know? She goes, because she asked, is Mike gay? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, How do you know? Because she literally asked, is Mike gay? gay the only question she ever asked me and it was always the first thing out of her mouth was uh do you have a girlfriend yet that's it and and when i said no it broke her heart as a family we'd go inside her house and we'd all look at the clock and we'd time how long it took her to ask me and there's there's one time it took 27 minutes and we're like grandma's got problems (laughs) like like it took her that long go to the home the amount of time this podcast has been going on is the amount of time r- roughly that it took for her to ask, which I mean, that's too a much. fairly long time. This is a true story. And, you know, I don't want to take too much out of my material, but let's just say it was her 80th birthday. I, I don't know what year it was, but I called her and this is the entire conversation. I said, hey, grandma, it's Mike. Happy birthday. And she said, oh, hi, thanks. Do you have a girlfriend yet? What? The no, f- grandma. No, grandma. I don't. Okay. It's your grandpa. Hold on. Hold that's on. It. Okay. All right, hold on. Was it more of like, well, do no, you have this, a girlfriend this, yet because I think you're gay? Or is it like she just really wanted you to have a girlfriend and because you didn't, she thought you were gay? Which like, you know what I mean? I think it's the latter. But this conversation I had with her was when I was maybe 28. So it had advanced in years. But yeah, she she was married at 16, dude. So this is starting to make sense to me because there's something going on in her life like, why would you ask a 12 or 14 year old about like a girlfriend and getting married? Like, that's just like so young. Like, yeah. I'd get it if you're like 25, 26, 27, 28. Okay. You're starting to think, hey, you're going to settle down. But, you know, hey, Shani, who would you? But, but uh, I always say Shani when I'm, when I'm talking about old people. No, but what, what a strange obsession. I love yeah. this. It, I really love this. It was incredibly frustrating because I knew the answer for, and I was single for 13 years between 20 and 33, really. And she was alive for almost all or all of that. So every time I talked to her, nope, nope. So I dreaded that. After that question, it was fine. But it was like, you, all right, here it goes. You know what? Let's get real for a second. Do you think that possibly, like just, just like there's a smidgen of possibility that from 20, what did you say, 20 to 33 you were single? Yeah, is that what you said? about that. That it was because she had put so much tremendous pressure on you that you just like fucked up every relationship or possibility of relationship because you were like, fuck, my grandma really wants this to work. No, here's what happened. I dated a lesbian. Ugh. They, they typically don't stay around too long. Yes, I dated one too. <laughs> I think it's a rite of passage. Well, actually, she, she was bi and then she left me and became a lesbian. And I was like, well, wow. That's a so, okay. that's a so, old crotch. So, okay, does that still hurt or no? I mean, like on a daily basis, it's not something that's like, oh. Right. But like right now, when you said that, like I like my right ventricle closed. Like I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just kind of a guy thing. You I know, know like, like it, it's it's sexist. It's whatever. It's like it's it immature, but no, it's whatever. Be- it's incredibly sexist. Yeah. Like instead of me being like, oh, she was bisexual. And then like after me, she figured out that, you know, she, she was more attracted to the other sex. But like when I go back to that, I'm just like, oh, you turned her gay. Here's the perfect <laughs> counter for that. You didn't turn her gay. You ruined men for everybody because you were so good. That's how you got to oh. think of it. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, because I was so great. Yep. She could never match up to you and you were the pinnacle. So what's the point of even trying? This is why you haven't cried because you just keep fucking <laughs> you, you you keep you keep psyching yourself out. But whatever works, man. No, I love that. I love that. But anyway, back to your grandma. So I was like, twenty to thirty three, you were single. Which, by the way, that's not a weird thing. Like it happens. Like you know, you, you date. What I was saying was just like, like if that started at twelve or fourteen or whatever it was, like you must have had that fucking voice going like, oh, you better get a girlfriend. You better make. So like you're on a date, and I can't imagine you're like fuck. Don't fuck this up. My grandma's no. like, you know what I mean? Like, was it that no. intense? I didn't have a date. Like, so that was easy. That wasn't a problem I had. No, I, I, uh, this podcast really is about you. So I don't want to talk too much no, about this. But I, like, no, I don't give a fuck. I love this. Let, just so, let it roll, man. It ain't about no. me or you or this is your podcast anyway. Let's just so, do it. 
really, I dated a, a woman in college, I, two of them. I dated one for four years. She broke up with me and I dated the future lesbian. And we dated for like a few months and then got, broke up and then got back together again and then broke up again. And I ended up moving to Maryland and we were going to get back together. I wanted to marry this woman. She was my best friend. She, everything was perfect. We both had a lot in common, both like punk rock. We both love baseball. We both love women. And the women part really kind of was a hurdle. <laughs> yeah, because you know what I found out when I was dating the bisexual girl was when she was like, girls night out. Yeah, that was yep. a scary moment. You know what I mean? Like, like, like when my wife's like, hey, um, you mind if I meet Julie for like girls night out? We're going to have like a couple glasses of wine and come home. I'm like, yeah, I don't fucking care. But back then she's like, you know, girls night out. And I'm just picturing like six girls scissoring after like eight martini. Like I just... And I wasn't mentally equipped to handle it then. Like now I think, you know, I could uh, maybe handle that. But at the time I was just way too sensitive and inequipped, immature to be able to, to, to handle that kind of thing. With that woman, we went to a concert together with her future girlfriend. Was and- it Katie Lang? Yes. Indigo girl. It was you a Green Day know. concert. You're like, wow, this is amazing. I'm at the Lilith Fair and I've got backstage passes. I thought we were going to Green Day. This is weird. Well, we got a meet and greet. This is phenomenal. We drove like four hours to pick up her friend and then we drove back and went to Rochester the next day. So like we're driving, we drove from Mansfield, Pennsylvania to Pittsburgh to Mansfield, Pennsylvania, then to Rochester. It was a ridiculous amount of driving. Why didn't she drive? Her friend didn't have a car. So like, whatever. It wasn't, what year year is it? Would have been 2003. All right. You're allowed to know. To not have a car and have to get a ride. 2004. Oh, that was my worst. Wait a minute. That was the year I was dating. Oh, my God. I was just talking about this with my sister. The year I was dating the bisexual girl was 2004. And it was the worst year of my life. But anyway, go ahead. So we, uh, you know, I'll wrap this up quickly. But uh, we went to the concert. And then that night... You know, my ex-girlfriend was going to come up and sleep in my room. And she's like, no, nah, Rachel and I are going to stay downstairs. I'm like, okay. Then she's like, yeah, we didn't. We only slept like an hour. I'm like, eh, whatever. And I said, I said, when are we going to dr- drive back to take her home? And she goes, well, I'm going to go back and I'm going to stay the night. I'm like, all right, that's weird. So then we broke up like a week later or something like that. And I like went back and did the math. I'm like, okay, well, this is why. Oh, <laughs> you so. poor fuck. <laughs> Yeah. You know, you know what makes that so sad for me is that like you're such a sweet guy that you're like, yeah, go, go downstairs. You Trusting. guys have some time. And again, I'm gonna go back. They were scissor. Like, let's just picture the worst. They were scissoring. They were shaving each other. Just why would they nining? Why would they you shave each like, other? I don't know. That's where my mind. Like, you're you're upstairs sleeping. Like, oh, she's downstairs bonding. <sighs> And you're just like dreaming about your grandma, like, get married. And like, (laughs) this went in such a weird direction. (laughs) I know. All right. So I want to talk about you, if if you don't mind. No, I like talking about you more, but whatever. (laughs) I think that's a lie. I think you love talking about yourself. Um, I've got like like a six minute uninterrupted clip of you talking about yourself already. So, so, New York Rock, when did you start that band? So, after the way SNL had ended, this goes into it. I'm, I'm not. So, here I am on SNL as an extra, and I get the phone call. So the way SNL works is if it's if it's a live performance, you know, like a live skit, you go in on um, Friday at noon and you're there all day and you wait until you get called, you rehearse your shit and then you leave and then you have to be back. No, I'm wrong. You go in at some certain time, you rehearse your sketch, you leave. And then on Saturday, you go in at noon and you're there till the end. So my grandmother obviously was in the hospital in um, Peekskill. You know, my whole family was down there and I took the train from Poughkeepsie down in. And so I get on the show, you know, we, we, we rehearse. And then the next thing uh, I know is Saturday, we're there all day and we rehearse it again. And then we have to hang out. So I'm, I'm hanging out, you know, I'm bopping my head around, you know, because now I have to wait till the late show. So I'm bopping my head around and I kind of like, you know, I just want to meet everybody because I want to be on this damn show. Will Forte was in the cast, Jimmy Fallon, Rachel Dratch, Maya Rudolph, Fred Armisen. And I peek my head around the corner and there's this long haired guy playing a guitar in this room. And I look in and I'm like, oh shit. And he goes, hey. And I'm like, uh oh, I'm caught. Well, sure enough, he goes, come in here. So I come in and he goes, sit down, man. He goes, it's all right. What's going on? I go, ah, 
I said, well, I just got back from Nashville. I have this demo. I, I said, I love playing music, but I also love doing comedy. You know, I my dream's always been to be on SNL or to sell a million albums. You know, back in 2004, you could sell a million You could sell albums. an album. Yeah, or, yeah, exactly. Yeah, a million albums. You could sell one album. So he said he introduced himself as Speedy, and he was the guitar tech for Saturday Night Live. And I said, oh, so you're Usher's guitar tech. And he said, no, no, no. He said, I'm I'm the guitar tech for every cast member. Yeah, everybody. So he said, this is Jimmy Fallon's guitar. And he hands it to me and, and he lets me play it. And I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do? And, you know, and he asked me about like, you know, what are your favorite bands? And I tell him and he says, yeah, they were dicks. They were cool. And that was it. And we left. So right around eight o'clock, they do a dress rehearsal where they'll do, which you probably know, they do like two hours worth of material. And based on the crowd reaction, it's it's an actual live crowd, they'll cut. So around 1030 or so, you go to this door where they post it and you find out if your sketch made it. Now, by the way, the sketch we were in, I thought sucked. So I'm like, we're fucked. And I remember all the other extras were like, I don't care. We're still getting paid 250 bucks. And I'm thinking, oh, no, I want to be on this fucking show. Yeah, I'm from Herkimer. And we we made the cut. So we're about to do the show. And I'm in the back hallway talking to my buddy. And about, I can't believe I'm here. And all of a sudden, Usher walks out of this elevator with his whole posse. He walks right by me. I'm like, this is insane. And I say to him, you know, I got to go, whatever. My dad calls me. This is literally 10 minutes before we go on. Uh, your grandmother died. So now I'm like, what the fuck? So I go into this bathroom, you know, right off the, the, the doorways going to the set. I just lost it. So I'm in the stall and I'm crying, you know, and I'm like, this is like the greatest night of my life and one of the worst. Or, or I'm sorry. So I walk out, I get myself together. I start washing my face. Seth Myers, who was in the cast, is next to me washing his makeup off. And he looks over at me and he goes, you okay? And I go, oh, yeah, yeah, just nervous. So I go and I do my sketch and I leave because I had to get, I had to take the train back to Poughkeepsie because my grandmother had died. And as I'm walking out of those famous, that famous hallway to the elevator, Speedy, the guitar tech walks by me. We pass and I go to the elevator. He goes, hey, Mike. I go, hey, what's up, man? He goes, uh, you were on SNL tonight, right? I go, yeah. He goes, so you did it. Now go sell me a million albums. And like a stupid fucking jackass, I decided to go back to music. So I got back to Herkimer. I couldn't afford to move to New York or LA, but I knew I needed to just do music full time. And my thinking was, if you can be the front man of a band, you can be a comedian because you're, right. you know, you're the one to right? So my buddy Johnny... Johnny O, who is my keyboard player, owns the L house here. And he goes, dude, yeah, move here and you can, you know, sleep in our guest room until you get on your feet and then move to New York City. It's a good stepping stone. Great, great music scene, uh, very culture. So sure enough, I move here and I start playing on the street, playing in bars. I take my CD up to the radio station from Nashville. They start playing it. It becomes like the 22 most requested song of the year. And that includes like, I remember seeing Nickelback 21 and I was 22. And you could have been Nickelback. I could have been Nickelback, but it was an Ithaca. And uh, yeah, then I built it up. I built my band, the New York Rock. And for 10 years, we toured as the New York Rock. And uh, as much as I love and loved doing it, in the back of my mind, I always thought, why did I leave comedy? Right. You know, had I had known when Speedy was like, hey. Go sell a million albums, you know. Uh, had I known that the, the business would tank completely, I would have just stuck with comedy. But I know that's a very long answer, but it's all relevant. I listened to the live album today. Maybe I'm wrong completely, and, and I think it's your vocals. You it's have your like opinion. a you can't be wrong. You, I recognize a little OAR, mm. not the not the musicianship, but your vocals. I'm fine with that. I mean, I, I'm not a fan of them, but the way I look at it is like if, if you were like. So I listened to your stuff today, and uh, I got to say, um, it sounded kind of like dog shit. I, I, maybe I'd be a little hurt, but, you know, whatever. That's fine. I mean, I think I've always had musical talent, and I'm pretty good. But I think at the end of the day, it's all about self-fulfillment, and I know you get this. For a while, I was getting the same self-fulfillment out of music that I was out of comedy, and I don't get that fulfillment out of music anymore. And that fulfillment out of comedy has never died. There is not like, I mean, 15 minutes ago, I might've said something that made you laugh and it made me feel so good, Mike. I I mean, I'm being honest, but just 
to be able to make you laugh just brings me some joy that I just don't know how to explain to people that don't get it. But I know I know you do. So if I told you I was faking that laughter, that would hurt, right? You know what? Sadly, no, because I would take it. <laughs> I'm such a whore for a laugh that I'm like, fake it. Don't tell me you're faking it, but like, just laugh and I'll be like, oh, a laugh. Take take pity laughs. I'm fine. (laughs) I'm I'm a beggar, whatever. I'm fine with it. Yeah. So, okay. So you're a front man in in New York Rock. I always thought that comedians would love to, like, I would love to be the front man of a punk rock band. Love it. But like, I can't. Like, I don't think I can. Well, maybe punk rock, I probably could because you you, you always need to sing well. but. I think there's a really big parallel between being a front man and being a comedian. Like the attention is on you all the time. Do you have pressure to say something witty between songs? You know, that's a great question. I don't have pressure because, you know, when I was doing music with the New York rock, it was more of, you know, this is what I do. I was doing comedy, but now I'm just focusing on music. It wasn't like people were like, Hey, uh, here's the New York rock and oh, he's also a comedian. So he's going to tell jokes in between. It was actually the opposite of that. It was nice because I didn't have to worry about bombing. Like I could, uh, in between songs, I could tell a joke and if it didn't go over well, who gives a shit? We're going to bust into a song. You know what I mean? So yeah, there, there was definitely no pressure there. It, It was more of like a blessing that like, wow, I probably should be doing comedy instead of music. But if I'm going to try both, you know, I get this opportunity to be funny in in between. Did you ever bring your guitar on stage at a comedy show? When I started, I did because I was going through that conundrum. You know, I was okay at doing impressions. But I have to admit that I, I... See, this is a tough subject. and I'd actually love to hear your opinion, your honest opinion on this, because... You know, there's that kind of stigma in the comedy world that like, oh, here comes a fucking guitar act. Like, yeah, you know, you know what I'm talking about or or like a ventriloquist, like you have to rely on it. Right. So I think I think the ventriloquist is worse than a uh, guy with a guitar. Do you really do? I think and I'm jumping ahead. So correct me if I'm wrong, but you want to know if that's hacky or something. Yeah, that's exactly what. Yeah, I don't, I don't think a guitar is. I think it could be. But like Dimitri Martin will bring his guitar on stage and he'll tell jokes around it. The jokes supersede what his ability is. Garfunkel and Oates is one of my favorite comedy duos. Like, have you heard them yet? I feel like a dick because I have. OK, they're fantastic. Kate McCoochie. That? You're a dick for a lot of other reasons. <laughs> <laughs> but, you're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> so it's Ricky Lindholm and Kate Micucci, our Garfunkel and Oates. And they're just I really that, fucking funny. Yeah. They're the second bananas of two really good bands. It's so good. It's so yeah. good. So, but the lyrics are great. They're basically harmonizing. I mean, they're singing the same notes. So like one of them isn't necessary. Like they're just, right. you know, redundant, but they're so funny that you don't even, I mean, obviously you, you know, the guitar's there, but you don't, you're listening to the jokes first, then the guitar. Okay. So I, I don't think so. I think, I think if you can do it well, go for it. I don't think there's anything hacky about it. Yeah. So the, yeah, that was kind of my thing was like back then when I had started in, in the New York clubs, I brought it out on stage, you know, I'm 22, 23, whatever. And, you know, it wasn't a thought, but now like I see, you know, there's this thing where it's like, you know, it's hacky or I guess Carrot Top's kind of the nickelback of comedy. But dude, I have to admit, I saw Carrot Top at the Turning Stone Casino. It was fucking amazing. I don't know. I don't know what to say. Am I a douche? I don't know. Again, for a lot of other reasons. Yes. A lot of other reasons. (laughs) No, I think, I think there's some. Carrot Top is extremely creative and he is a genius for what he's doing because maybe he wasn't the first one, but he's certainly the guy in the prop comedy. So, you know, I'm not a fan. Uh, When I was a kid, I liked him because I think everybody liked him when I was a kid. Yeah. I mean, look, look, you and I are literally the same age. We're 37. So uh, it's 937, by the way. That's freaky. Um, (laughs) I guess like, uh, what's that comedian? Is it Stephen Lynch? Stephen Lynch is great. He's a guitarist, and See, but he's now, really funny. He is. He's very funny. But like his whole act is the guitar. So I feel like what you're saying is like if you do your act and then you incorporate your guitar and like just kind of like complement your act with it, it's a little less hacky. 
Yeah, the jokes and the lyrics of the song have to be really good, like to no. to make me. Yeah. So I think right. I think well, they come first. Is like if you come out and do stand up, right, and you're just doing stand up, right, yeah. and then you're like, oh, and by the way, and then you bring out the guitar. I kind of agree with you. Like you're complimenting your act. Like your whole act isn't relying on that guitar. Because let's be honest, music moves people, whether they know it or not. So like you can come out and fucking jam a song in the crowd and be like, yeah, and they're gonna like stop paying attention to your material because you got that guitar to rely on. I think, I think that's where the other comedians get pissed. Cause they're like, yeah, you can just fucking rely on like ripping a riff. It, it's hard to follow a guitarist. Yeah. It, re- yeah, it really of course is. It is. It's the same way as like when I was playing in the band, like even before that, like I was acoustic, you wouldn't put a band on before you put a guy who was just acoustic on like dynamically. It just doesn't make sense. Like that poor fucking guy is going to come out acoustic after a metal band played. Like that just dynamically doesn't make sense. And it's the same way. You're right. Actually. Like, you know, fucking guitar act comes on, he revs a crowd up with music. And, and then now you're supposed to just go up there and tell jokes without a guitar. It's tough. It's a tough dynamic, but I, I like, I totally agree with what you said, where it's like, Hey, let me go out there, tell some fucking jokes. Then I'll throw the guitar in and add to it. And it's like, yeah, okay. This is a whole, a whole thing. But I mean, there's it's, no right or wrong. No, you know? I, I think it's all, it's all personal taste. It's subjective. Yeah. So, when you're growing up, did you latch on to one particular comedian to get you going? Like, like who created this urge for you to get on stage? I'll tell you right now. Jim Carrey. Yeah, he's great. One thousand, one million percent. And I'll never forget the moment. It was when In Living Color was on. Fucking great show. <sighs> I auditioned for the, the reboot in Chicago and I bombed. Bombed. Like, I knew I bombed because the guy was like, and I, <laughs> twist of the plot, I brought my guitar up. Ugh. Really? Yeah. This is like five years ago in Chicago. They were going to do a reboot. And uh, like in my mind, I was like, I'm going to be the white guy. Because like literally, that's a crazy story because like I pulled up, I took a cab and I pulled up and I opened my door and another cab came and ripped the fucking door off. And then the cab driver tried to tell me that I needed to follow them to a mechanic and pay them like a thousand dollars. In scrubs? (laughs) Exactly. I was like, what the fuck is going on? And, and then the cops came and, and I finally, you know, and they, you know, all the brothers are in line going, oh shit, this motherfucking yeah. white boy pulls up, taxi dog is not going But uh, I get in line and I bombed it. But anyway, I remember specifically, I'll never forget the moment. It was in Living Color and it was a sketch where they would do a newscast. So they'd yeah. be like, oh, we're down here on the, you know, we're down here on the beach with uh, Henry Wilson. Henry, tell us about the hurricane that came before. And then they, they interview him. And then like Jim Carrey, like he like kind of walks by and he sees the camera. So he like does, I know like nobody that's listening can see this, but I know you do. Yeah. So he like walks by and he's like, he's like making faces behind. And so he's, he's walking out of frame and, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was honestly the exact moment that I was like, I want to be that guy. I think um, in that scene, he like does a huge fall. I think he falls fall. backward. Yeah. yeah, he does. Yeah. Uh, so he does this thing where he like arches his back and then I can't do it because I'm 37. And, you know, and he falls completely out of frame. Completely out of frame. Jim Carrey, by the way, do you know he auditioned for SNL and they said, nah, we're good. Oh, I know. Not only do I know that, if you look up his, his audition was actually pretty phenomenal. But yeah, they passed on him, man. Well, Damon Wayne's only made it a year. And he wasn't getting anything on, so he's like, and so Keenan Ivory's like, "Hey, guess what? I got a show." So it's like, okay. The, in Living Color cast, I'm so impressed. I look at it like every two or three months, and just am blown away. But they had, you know, Jamie Fox and David Allen Greer, Dude. Jim Carrey, Tommy I mean, Davidson, like all these yeah. comedic talents. You know what? Let's even go further. Fucking J Lo was one of the Fly Girls. Fly Girls. Yeah, I mean, Rosie Perez was, was the coordinator. Whoa! Wait a minute. So, you know, Chris Rock was was on like four or five episodes. And Shut the fuck up. Yeah, in like the fifth season. So they're on their way out. But the talent is absolutely incredible. It's unbelievable, man. That was my first taste of like, okay, that's what I want to do. I mean, you know, there's obviously a lot of other, you know, people that have influenced me in the comedy world. Like, I, I love Conan and, and Jimmy Fallon and Will Ferrell. Jesus Christ. I, I would probably go Jim Carrey, Will Ferrell. But if you're talking back then, like starting out, you know, I went the comedic actor route. But if you want to go straight stand up, honestly, which is not my style, but I think probably my favorite 
not favorite, but one, I can't pick a favorite, but one of my favorite standups, Mitch Hedberg. Um, oh, he's great. I remember growing up, my parents watched Stephen Wright, who I got to see here in Ithaca yep. at the state, you know, that kind of one liner dry, big, big fan of Stephen Wright and, and Mitch Hedberg. Just fucking brilliant. So your style is completely autobiographical, right? I don't know. I don't, you know what, Mike, I'm being honest. I, if you ask me my style, I don't know. I don't know what my fucking style is. I just go up there and. You know, I, I I remember one thing that pissed me off when I was um, starting at Fat Cats was, you know, we'd go in the dressing room and whoever the headliners were, or the features, they'd go, do you like Jim Brewer? And I was like, yeah, I love Jim Brewer, which I do love Jim Brewer. They would constantly pin me as like, I was copying, not copying, but like, right. they're like, oh, we could tell you. And I honestly wasn't trying to copy Jim Brewer. Just him and I are very... Honestly, if you had to say who are you the most like, it would probably be like mostly Jim Brewer. Like, well, you got you both have a whole lot of energy. Yeah, and it's you, a physical you, thing. The, the Metallica, you know, you rock could, and roll. And you could tell by watching Jim Brewer that he absolutely wants to be a musician more than a comedian. I met him at a Metallica show, by the way, which is fucking phenomenal. But yeah. You know, back then, I think I wasn't equipped to to take that as a compliment. I was more offended. Like, I'm not trying to copy this guy. Like, this right. is who I, you know, I, I took offense to it. But but I also learned, too, and I don't know if you ever experienced this, but, like, dude, comedians are really fucking bitter. Like, oh, yeah. Really bitter. I just, and, you know, doing the New York scene and even doing, like, regionally here, yeah, I mean, okay, yeah, you you don't really get exposed to it as much, but when you're, you know, when you're in an upstate club, like a comedy club where real headliners are coming through like fat cats. And I mean, you're in the, you know, dressing room. I mean, those guys would tell you everything. They would just always before each show, always so bitter. Like, ah, yeah, I hope he bombs out there. I just never understood that because from the music side of things, I was always like, you know, you, you know, you always want everyone to do okay. You know, yeah, you don't. Nobody wants to be upstaged, but at yeah. the same time, yeah, you got to be so fucking bitter. But it's like, like if you if you're a comedian, say we're on the same show, like I'm I'm hosting a fat cats, you're go, you're following me. Why would you want to see me do poorly? Because exactly. that just means you're going to have to work a little more harder to get the crowd on your side. You know, like yeah. it doesn't make sense to me. I couldn't agree with you more, man. It's just like you want everybody to do well because if everybody does well, the crowd's pumped. You yeah, know, but the, the, a lot of these guys, you know, they have a, they have big egos and they don't want to be shown up. And it's like, well, guess what? Write better fucking material, man. What can I tell you? You know, competition's great in, in sports and, and in comedy and acting. Like, just, you know what? Yeah, I've had times where, you know, I, I've gone after a comedian that crushed. And I was like, all right, you know, I might not crush as much as him, but I just got to do me. That's it. Do you remember your worst set? Uh, I do. Tell me about that one. Uh, <laughs> uh so it's funny because I I'm thinking of a couple. <laughs> but somebody asked me when we're set. I'm like, well, which month? Yeah, right. I was like, uh, what month? What day? What year? I particularly remember this is when I was actually first starting out uh, at Fat Cats. I was the MC, and I went up there, and I'm I'm telling these jokes. And I promise you from the bottom of my heart, I never stole material from anybody. And uh, I don't know, quarter way through my set, this lady yells, you fucking stole that from Jim Brewer. And the whole crowd was like, huh? And I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, that joke about blah, blah, blah. Jim Brewer told that joke. I said, no, he didn't. Because I wrote that today. And uh, she just kept laying into me. And I remember back then I had, you know, spiky hair and, and, uh, you know, Argyle socks pulled up and fan shoes. And she's like, where's your skateboard? And I went in the closet with your fucking self-respect. Shut the <laughs> fuck up. And everybody just like, luckily I, you know, I won the crowd over, but I just remember feeling so embarrassed because it was different than getting heckled. Like it's different. It was like, you saw, right. it was like, she was claiming that I was stealing stuff, which I would never do. And, uh, that fucking killed me. And I just remember thinking, you know, this crowd, they're probably looking at her going, Oh, he did. 
I just that that was a that was a bad one. There's probably a worse one, but that one sticks with me and it was tough, man. But you know, that's kind of remember do you remember how the next set went? Uh better than that. (laughs) And and I think but I think that's obviously a bonus because like, oh like you could throw that one set away and be like, okay, well, I've got this one, it went better, start new. Yeah. You know what I struggle with the most is like there's so many different ways you can tell a joke, right? So it's like I'm going to ask you, like, what, what's funnier? And I've done this at one of your shows that you booked me up. Like, so is it funnier to go, man, you know, I used to, you know, I used to have so much time to work out and now I don't. (sighs) I mean, I've set the bar so low that it's like, if I masturbate and I'm not winded, then I know I'm in shape. Right. Or, right. Pretty good joke. Or do I say, you know how, you know, if you're in shape, you take the aggressive approach, right? You know how you know you're in shape? If you can masturbate, and you're not winded, you're good. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, you, yeah I like the second you, one better. I do too. I changed it today because at the shows I've been doing with you, that the, I did the first one. But, you know, people that aren't comedians don't realize that, like, it's literally, it could be just, just a little, like, flip. I mean, uh, it, it's it's something as minor as I stuttered through something, and it throws off the entire cadence and your rhythm, and people are fixated on the part you screwed up, and they forgot to listen to the punchline. It could be the best joke in the world. It fucking tanks because you got a dry mouth. You ju- exactly, or someone talked through it, and you like there's a cadence. There's a cadence. People don't realize like funny is not just funny. Like the way you tell a joke, the way you word it, it could be one word. You could flip the script. I mean, it's an art, man. It's fucking, it's an unbelievable talent that I'm blessed to have and that you're blessed to have. And you are a funny motherfucker. And I will say this on your podcast because I said it before. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, apparently Mike has great eyes. So I don't know, like, I don't know where your, you know, your, your camera's angled to or what lighting you got going. But like, I told you, like, the first thing I thought was when we signed in, I was like, when the fuck did you get beautiful eyes? <laughs> it's I, I give that to the Google Pixel 3. Yeah. The, the phone yeah. is doing it. Your grandma's rolling in her grave because I want to French kiss you right now. <laughs> She's like this. I, knew, I knew he was gay. For years, I told my parents and my sister, anybody who would listen, that I, I desperately wanted to say, when my grandma asked, do you have a girlfriend yet? I desperately wanted to say, yeah, her name is Frank. <laughs> <laughs> She's yeah. the direction. Yeah. Her name is Frank. <laughs> I mean... It's just so funny. That's so funny to me that she was, she was so so fixated on that for you. Yeah, and my other grandma said, Mike, once you get married, you're married a long time. Don't do it. <laughs> so, so, and then and she said, don't tell your grandma. I said that. Yeah. What a fucked up look, man. You don't need to get married. You no, I'm good. Need- yeah, just fucking do you. And if you, you find somebody that you want to be with, cool. And if you decide to not get married, cool. Just fucking do you, man. I've got three cats. Nobody's going to marry me, so I'm good. Which, by the way, one of your cats has been up in that uh, fucking thing yeah, there. Man. She just left. She's pretty, man. She was staring at me the whole time. That's where I get the eyes. Yeah, you guys have similar eyes. Sweet D's, my baby. Yeah, I got a, uh, You were asking me when I bombed. One funny story I have. Do you know uh, Rich Voss? Yeah, yeah. When I did Caroline's for the amateur night, I was still smoking cigarettes back then, which is so stupid. And uh, so we get put in this green room. So all of us comedians are in this tiny little green room, and I'm smoking a – or no, I wanted to smoke a cigarette. Rich Voss comes in because he was the MC, And I said, hey, hey, Rich, uh, he was smoking. I go, oh, can I smoke in here? He goes, yeah, you can, you can totally smoke. I was like, oh, all right, and he he puts his out. So I'm I'm fucking smoking. All of a sudden, the the door whips open, and the whoever I don't know if it's a manager of the club or whatever fucking goes, hey, put your fucking cigarette out. And I go, no, Rich, Rich told me that I that I uh, I could smoke. And he goes, ah, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. He goes, uh, yeah, he he totally threw me under the bus, man. He was totally. Like Rich, Rich Voss can smoke, but not you. No, and yeah, and looking back, you're right. Like, who the fuck am I? You know, you work on the radio station still too, right? The Vine. Uh, I 
I do, and I did up until okay. the quarantine thing. But yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So, so how do you do that? Like, are you just off the books right now? Yeah. Well, so the way it worked is is uh, when this started, they were like, you know, you're kind of the voice of the radio station. You know, we wanna we want you to keep going. And then, like a day later, the state kind of released like non essential businesses. You know, oh, okay. can't do it. So I wrote them and I said, look, you know, my wife's still working. I'm actually eligible for benefits. I won't be if I, if I do the radio, but I'm willing to do it part time because I love it so much. It's like kind of like, you know, it's kind of another like another form of stand up, you know, they wrote back and were like, you know, looking into the kind of the fine print. We'd probably get in trouble if, if we let you do it for free. Take your yeah. benefit. You'll have this job when it's over. So. Well, plus, you might be like double dipping. Right. Yeah. So so they were like, you know, as much as we'd love to have you, we'd rather you get benefits, you know, for your family uh, than coming in and, and doing it. But, you know, but I again, I said, I was like, I'll come in and do it for free. Like, we don't have to talk about it. And they're like, eh. We could get in trouble. You could get in trouble. You know. How often are you on the show there? Like, how often are you on Mike? Well, I mean, if you were to tune in, it would be Monday through Saturday, nine a.m. to three p.m. Okay. But it's a pre-recorded format. Oh, so, beautiful! So you can almost do it when you can. Yeah. So, so basically, I would go in on a Wednesday, and I would record Thursday, Friday, Saturday, which would take me hour and a half, two hours, and then I would go in on saturday or sunday and record monday tuesday wednesday which again would take me hour and a half to two hours that's crazy like i yeah it's it's great but like i i don't know if it's just technology is that far ahead or if that was always the case when we were kids but it's amazing well you know what it is amazing because like there's two ways to look at it so it's like the one side is like hey you know, this really works with my schedule. I can go in twice a week for an hour and a half, two hours, bang it out, get paid, which is not a lot, and I'm gone. But then the other side of that is I don't get live callers like you do with comedy. You don't get that immediate reaction. You know, you don't get that like, hey, what you said was funny. You know, you don't get live callers. You don't get requests. So, you know, it's it's a, it's a little bit of both. You know, I, I enjoy that it, it, it caters to my schedule, but at the same time, you know, I miss that live interaction. And, uh, you know, there's something to be said about having someone call on and be like, hey, man, can I hear this? Or, you know, I, I tell people all the time, like, you know, I'll go somewhere in town and they'll be like, are you on the radio? And I'll be like, you listen? Because, <laughs> Mike, I don't know if I have five listeners or 5,000. I don't. Right. You know? We got to go soon, but uh, I want to ask – Oh, yeah, because I've got cats to take care of. I know you don't care about your your kids. Yeah, I don't care about my kids. So who are your favorite bands? Like, who are your influences in music? Jesus. Well, number one, uh, the Beatles. It's not like a... Yeah, I mean, I grew up... I mean, just a gigantic Beatles fan. In fact, this is uh, right behind my bar here. Uh, In my life, the lyrics to that was a gift to me from my parents. So the Beatles were number one. But, you know, I'm all over the map. You know, I've always been the guy that's like, you know, a good song is a good song. Because you meet those guys that are like, metal or nothing. It's like Metallica is one of my favorite bands of all time. I have their tattoo on my back. Yeah, I'm that guy. But I also love the Dave Matthews Band. So, I mean, for me, it's the Beatles, the Dave Matthews Band, Metallica, Foo Fighters. Um, Jeez. Yeah, if you had to find a fifth one, who would it be? Yeah, exactly. Uh, If I had to find a fifth one. Dave Matthews, Metallica, Foo Fighters, The Beatles. And you can't say Dave Matthews and Tim Reynolds. That doesn't count. Oh, fuck that. (laughs) The cop out. (laughs) Um, My fifth would be... Who would my fifth be? Dave Matthews, Metallica. This is what you're talking about with editing. Yeah, yeah. Dave Dave Matthews, Metallica, The Beatles. Let's go with those for now. So you've got a Rushmore. Yeah, I do have a Rushmore, and and I'm blanking it's gonna, out. It's gonna look fucking weird with all those heads, but yeah, yeah. I get it. Real James Hatfield, Dave Matthews. <sighs> so okay, here's my question about Dave Matthews Band. I think fine musicians. I like the band a whole lot more than I like the fans. The fans ruined that band for me because, and not all fans, yes. but okay. So I worked with a couple people who. Wait, Mike. They would be wearing exactly what you're wearing, right? Oh, I'm sure. But they wouldn't be wearing a Jimmy E-World hoodie. I guarantee no, that. 
But yeah. it would be a DMB hoodie and, and a beanie. Yeah. yeah. But, but I'm uh, wearing this because I haven't cut my hair in three months. So that's oh, different. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Also, I don't think I've showered in two days. You look like a, like an angry Ed Sheeran. But well, that's different. You are, yeah. <laughs> so I worked with a couple of people, a couple of Dave Matthews Band fans in high school. And I came back from a Green Day Blink-182 concert. And I was pumped because they both I put on amazing songs. Which, in 2002? Yeah. In Buffalo or Saratoga? No, I went to SPAC. Yeah, we're at the same concert. Wait, what? You were at SPAC? Yeah, I went to two of them. I went to... That would have... That would have been July. Um, it would have watched this. I can't this, tell you the date. This is this is fucking weird. The one in Saratoga was June first, and then the Buffalo one was June fourth. Yeah, I mean, whatever. I, mean, I was at back, and Blink One Eighty Two went on first, or I mean, Green Day went on first, and then uh, Blink, and people were leaving during Blink because fucking Green Day. Do you remember? Uh, They're so they had good. People in chicken costumes coming out and playing horn. Yes, we were at the same show. That is so great. That show, we were in like the, I'm going to say sixth row. The first thing Green Day did was they opened up the pit for yes. other people. So we yes. got in there. So we saw Green Day from the, like, we budged up and, and eventually got really close to the, the front and saw Blink-Way Day 2. We were in the front too. That was such a good show. So I came back there and I was really pumped. And my two friends at work, I'm like, this show was amazing. And they're like, well, Dave is better. Which, by the way, I don't like when people call that band Dave. I think that it's like they're four of the members annoying. of the band. It is. It is. And I'm like, you know, we're on a first name basis. Yeah. Right. You don't know him. And I'm like, okay, well, have you seen Green Day and Blink-182 live? And they're like, no. I said, so how do you know? And that was where, like, I was, I'm a journalist. I've always been a journalist. So I'm like, no, I want to be logic and fair about this. You haven't seen them. You can't tell me that. But they're like, 100%. oh, fuck you. We know. And I'm like, whatever. Yeah. Dude, let me tell you something. So that was the night before that concert. Someone said to me, they go, Green Day is the greatest concert you'll ever go to. Now, you have to remember back then, what did you say? It was 2002. I mean, they didn't have the credibility they had now. So I was like, uh, have you ever been to Metallica or Aerosmith? I mean, I went to all of those. And I'm like, really, Green Day? That was the concert, the, the same concert you and I were at, that I was like, holy shit. Did not only did they upstage fucking Blink-182, I mean, they just, just what, un-fucking-believable. But to your point, <laughs> you can't go, yeah, Dave, yeah, Dave's best. Dave's actually one of the worst bands you can see live if you don't love really? them. Really? Oh, okay, okay. I get you. I get it. No, I mean, like, you have to love their music. Well, because you're going to be there for, what, two and a half, three hours? At least. And so, they don't, there's no fireworks, there's no pyro, like, it's just, you're going to get Dave playing music. So I've had friends and, say the same thing, where they're like, really oh, music. boring as fuck. Right. And I'm like, well, if you love the music, you're going to love it. If you're looking for pyrotechnics and all that shit, go see Metallica or fucking Van Halen. I don't know what to tell you. But you're a front man. And Green Day is my favorite band. So full disclosure. Green you know, Day you can't be is a top so, five favorite band for but, me. When, but when you're – wow, we got the fifth. So when you're just looking at front man, Billy Joe Armstrong, how do you beat that guy? He's incredible. He's, he's all over the place. He, he can play the guitar with his teeth. He can play drums. He can play piano. He can do whatever. Absolutely. And one of my favorite things that I ever saw him do, which was at that same concert was, and he does it regularly now, was he would invite, he'd say, who can play guitar? You know, and and then he brings everybody up and they all play the instrument. I mean, to me, that is just unbelievable to bring the fans up there, let them play the song and then says, here's my guitar if you stage dive. Yep. I mean, and, uh, it's, it, it, and it's that opera, Operation Ivy song, Knowledge. I'm sure I've never played it, but I'm sure it's not the most complex song. But man, it's it's uh, it's like doing crowd work. Like if you yeah. single out somebody in the second row, then they feel like they're part of it now. And like if you bring up three people to play an instrument on stage, it's like, holy shit, how can you not be fully into this? They just picked right. a teammate of yours to go on stage. That could have been you. So exactly. we're all fans. And that fan who got the guitar, no matter what Green Day does, they're golden. Absolutely. Green Day, there I I had a chance to see the uh American Idiot Broadway show. It's a really good show. It was incredible. I mean, you get to you go in, you get to sign the wall like graffiti. You go in and it's on Broadway. It was like 48th Street. And I mean, you're you're literally sitting there watching a Broadway show of 
the album American Idiot, and I've yeah. never been more fired up in my life. They have a bar, you can go get drinks, yep. and then great. after, and then then afterward, you know, that you drink with the cast. It was just oh. When I saw that, because I don't know what year it was, like 2008, maybe 2007. When I was there, my foot was tapping the entire way. My buddy's like, dude, what are you doing? I'm like, I can't help it. Dude, that, your foot was tapping. I was fucking bouncing in my, I mean, I, I, it was like being at a Green Day show. I mean, it was incredible. But uh, yeah, that's what top five favorite bands for me. I, I remember um, specifically coming home. Uh, I would walk home from school. My buddy, Brett Reimstein, great name. He lived right off of the bridge we would cross out of high school. And it was Blues Travelers 4 came out. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, Green Day's Dookie had come out like the same, not the same day, the same week. We ripped the cellophane off, man. And we just like we were in his room and we just played Dookie over and over and over. It was just like unlike anything we'd ever heard, man. Yeah, it was like an explosion of sound. Oh, it's fucking unbelievable. And that video where like Billy Joe's like eating the couch cushion and Longview. Yeah. It's just I love it. Yeah, that, yeah. Oh, I nineties is the best decade. You can't even argue. Like they're it's not even close. No. You can't. Because here's the thing. Here's my argument. You had everything. So there was just enough technology to where you could go in a chat room, you know, play Carmen San Diego online, whatever. But it wasn't consuming us, right? You were listening. I mean, think of the music. You had anything from Hootie and the Blowfish yep. to Green Day to Britney Spears to the Backstreet Boy. Like, Mike, we genuinely hit all of it. There was great rock. There was great pop. There's just great everything. Film, Dumb and Dumber. 1994 had Dumb and Dumber, Ace Ventura, The Mask. It had Forrest Gump, Lion King, Shawshank Redemption, Pulp Fiction, Major League Two, D2, The Mighty Ducks. It had everything just in that one year. But here's my thing. Let me ask you this. When does it become we're like the old guys on the lawn? Like back uh, in uh, the 90s, that's when it was the best. When is it true? I want your opinion. Like when is it like, no, but for real, it was the best. Because my dad was like, the 60s was the best. I think every generation likes their childhood the best. Like, you, we always romanticize that. But I think if anybody is smart, they'll look at the 90s and be like, yeah, that, that was better. Like, I think we we cornered it. You know? I totally agree, man. Like, even in fucking Broadway, we had Rent. That was, like, yep. sick. Hey, if you didn't have Rent in the 90s, you wouldn't have Michael Scott's finale in The Office. You know, like, it all ties in. Think like if you're an office fan, well, you better thank the fucking '90s, you assholes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, man. Well, dude, I appreciate you being here. Uh, do you want to plug your social media? Oh, uh, I guess I'm on Twitter at Mike underscore Brindisi. Very easy to remember. B r i n d i s i. All eyes. MikeBrindisi.com or my band that used to play. It's the New York Rock.com. It'll kick over. That's not why I'm doing this, but thank you. Yeah. Dude, well, I, I really appreciate you being here. Let me ask you before we go, who is your go-to comedian? Uh, when I was a kid, George Carlin. Ooh. N- close. So we used to we used to quote him all the time. And then now I'd say Mike Birbiglia and John Mulaney. They're probably one, too. I scoop up anything they do. Did you, um, Mike Birbiglia came to Ithaca College. Uh, no, I had a, sh- I had a show. I believe I've seen him in Syracuse and in Maryland and a couple times in the city. So I've seen him a bunch. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, brother. I love you, man. Thank you so oh, much. Man. This was so much fun. Dude, I had a blast and uh, maybe I'll delete this completely. And maybe I'll air it. Who knows? <laughs> you know what? I hope you, <laughs> I hope I take the headphones off and you're just like, delete. And like, none of this, like, what a, what a goddamn waste of time this was. Yeah, what a waste of time. <laughs> no, but honestly, I don't care. I really, I really enjoy this, man. And like, forget the um, podcast part of it. I, I really enjoy talking to you. You too, man. Thanks so much. I love you, bud. Peeling back my sunburned skin. I'll wait outside your bedroom. I hope they let me in.